guys, Trapper here. And Emily. Thanks for listening to another episode of Traps Lodge. If you like it, leave us a review. Welcome back, everybody, to Traps Lodge. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Traps Lodge. Today we are talking deer, deer, and more deer. Getting ready for hunting season. Are you ready? Oh, dear. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about whitetail first. Um, I've got four different kind of uh, different breeds of deer we're going to talk about. And on each one, I'm going to start with the same two questions. When can you hunt them and where can you hunt them? So whitetail, talk a little bit about the season and where you can hunt them in Texas. In Texas, you can hunt whitetail statewide. Uh, I believe every county is open for whitetail. Granted, um, whitetail populations are bigger in some counties than other counties or larger, more numerous in some counties than others. And um, some counties are three buck counties, some bucks are some counties are two buck counties you can start hunting them general season is the first saturday in october's bow and then the first saturday in november's rifle but now we have uh mld permit systems which you can start hunting with a rifle first saturday in october and for that you have to go to a ranch that has an mld permit or how does that work correct or if you have a lease or your own ranch you can work with texas parks and wildlife and and get your mld permits Uh, and that's just by doing surveys and deer counts and then uh, requesting MLD permits and license. It can be high fence or low fence. You can get MLD on both. Okay. And I know um, whitetail seem very accessible, right? A very accessible deer to hunt in Texas. And I know that they're very sought after. Like people are, whitetail's the thing, right? Whitetail's always been the thing and it's ingrained in the American hunter's brain to be the thing. Every hunting show and hunting magazine for the last 50 years has promoted whitetail hunting. I think they're the most abundant trophy nationwide. And I feel that there's a lot of other animals that get looked over because of whitetail. So many other game animals don't get hunted and don't get looked at. It's just been ingrained in our society, ingrained in our hunting society, that whitetail is the number one thing to hunt. And I think because it's so abundant nationwide as a game animal, it's become that way. But there's so many other things to look at. There's so many other types of deer and, and other species in North America to, to go hunt. Yeah, we're going to talk about a couple of them in a minute. But first, I want to ask you, typical versus non-typical. I've heard some heated debates over this as far as what hunters prefer, what they like. I've seen some hunters get a very non-typical deer, and they are so excited about it. And others are like, I would never shoot that. So what's that, that debate? Let's talk about that. I think there for a minute, um, 10 years ago, it went towards score. Everybody was chasing a score. And to get a high score, you need a super non-typical deer. And now it's kind of come back around to a more typical mainframe 10, 12 point that's going to score really high. I personally don't like score. I think the scoring tape, the measuring tape ruins a lot of hunts. If you like a deer and you're happy with that deer in the field, you should shoot that deer and put it on your wall. Yeah, good story here. I have a deer on my wall that I thought was really cool that I shot until I met you. And you're like, that's kind of (laughs) small. And I went to your house and saw all of your animals. Okay, now you're just (laughs) throwing me underneath the bus. Um, I do agree with you, though. I definitely think that score and just conversations I've heard you have with hunters and things like that, it gets in the way of just enjoying the hunt. And like you said, if you like something, if it looks cool to you, if that's what you want in your house, then 
go for it you know i think uh, i think our society our hunting society we've 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 making score the number one thing and we've taken hunting hunting is taking the back seat to the score and i've gotten guys that are like well my buddy's got a whatever 168 i need a 170 to to beat his and i'm like does it really matter that much like are we measuring each other that that detail to to where that's going to make or break whether you had a good time because it's about being out there and getting out there and enjoying the hunting and enjoying the ambiance and enjoying the bird life and the squirrels and whatever have you and the campfires and the stories and have a beer have a drink whatever but just it's not about score it shouldn't be about score because if it is then you're in the wrong sport no, that definitely makes sense. Enjoying the people you're with, too. Exactly. You know, what if you take your kids hunting or whatever? Yeah, take your kids hunting, take your dad hunting, take your brother hunting. I mean, if 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 your hunt evolves around score, the scoring system was originally invented to track and, and keep records of trophy quality animals. And we've melded that into like a competition of I'm better than you are or not necessarily you're not a better hunter you just spent more money especially in texas if you're a a better hunter then you went further and deeper into the woods and spent more time there and and i hate the naysayers in hunting and i I don't want to go down this path probably i'm on this podcast but i think as a hunting community we should all support each other as hunters i don't care if you're high fence low fence no fence it doesn't matter if your kid kills a deer and that kid's ecstatic about it and there's some guy that gets on social media and and naysays that deer shame on you if you want to say well you guys in texas sit over a corn feeder well you guys in illinois sit on a corn field what's the difference seriously what's why are we why are we just picking on each other we should all support each other as outdoorsmen and hunters i don't give a crap if you're a a turkey hunter or a bird duck and geese hunter or a fisherman we should all say hey man thumbs up great job good job i'm glad you got out there i'm glad you fulfilled your dream i don't care if you killed a doe for me we should all be supportive of each other for the record every deer i've shot except for one has been a coal buck and i had a good time doing every single one of them <laughs> the thing is i will wreck a truck trying to kill a coal buck and i could give a crap less about a trophy because I want my herd to be better every year. So, and hunting those cold bucks is almost, it's a thing for me because they're harder. They're getting harder and harder to hunt. They get smarter and smarter all the time. And you're the cold buck queen. I am. We'll have to post pictures of all my cold bucks. Some of them are really bad. <laughs> um, so talk to us a little bit about, I know you're very passionate about this, uh, hunting spikes. Okay, so Texas Parks and Wildlife came out years ago. And I don't know how many years ago. And my dad was a, a so against this and now we have a, a spike in doe season at the end of our whitetail season and they told everybody to go out and shoot all your spike deer shoot all your spikes spikes are bad blah 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 blah. and they have a high fence that they have in, in mountain home texas and they think the biggest deer that they've grown is a little over 150 inch deer or, granted i don't like talking about inches but here we go down that road if in, you did that in any other species any other type of deer you would have zero trophies to to take and this is what happens i get lease hunters that come to me like man we've been uh really managing this place we kill 30 spikes a year but we're just not seeing any mature bucks i'm like well no shit because you just shot your future every year you're shooting your future i don't call any deer until he's three 
at three years old, I can tell what a deer is. If he's only going to be a six point or if he's a crappy eight point, I call that deer. And our fawning season is so long. I've seen a fawn born like May 1, and I've seen a fawn born like August 15th. So the problem is that August 15th deer, the first time you see him, he may just be a little bitty spike. And you get people to say, oh, I killed a longhorn spike. Well, that's, that's the formation of a main beam. He looks like a longhorn. That's his main beam. And those deer that are born May 1, they may come out the first time you see them. Well, of course, they're going to be nubbins your first season, nubbin bucks. And then at a year and a half old, they're going to be a, a spike or a four point, six point, maybe even eight or ten point in South Texas where there's a little bit better genetics than the hill country. I've grown up in the hill country. But if you shoot all your spikes, you're not going to have those three-year-old deer to pick from the cull. Okay, so you said you like to wait until they're three. For somebody who hasn't been doing this as long as you and doesn't have that knowledge that's on a lease or something, what are some signs they can look for as far as aging a deer? Well, first of all, if that deer looks like a doe, it's, it's a young deer. If it's a ratchet neck little buck, I've truly only in my life, and I'm talking over thousands of deer, thousands, tens of thousands of whitetail that I've either guided or hunted or killed myself, I've only seen two true, true, true spikes that are above three years old. I'm talking old, big hole, you know, big base spikes. And you can, just watching a deer stand or like a feed ground or a field, you can just watch by the, the, the social interaction of those deer. The bigger bucks can run off those younger deer. Um, and when a young, usually the spikes are young bucks are the first ones to come to the corn feeder. They're the dumbest. They're always the dumbest. And that's what happens when guys go out to kill does. They shoot one doe, a deer comes back, it's normally a nubbin buck. And I've personally made this mistake. Like, oh, um, there's another doe, I'm going to shoot it. And you shoot it, and it's like a nubbin buck. It's a eight, six-month, seven-month-old deer. So mistakes get made. But judging those, those deer by body character, there's posters out there. There's posters online. And everybody talks about it, sway back and pot belly and mature deer. In the hill country, we really don't get that. What I look for is in that neck, if you get like some sag. So if you have a straight line from their neck straight to their brisket, that's a mature deer. If you have like a dip, like a doe, um, and then that's more of an immature deer, what I call a ratchet neck, just a skinny neck deer. But if you've got a straight line down in the brisket and you start getting some loose skin around that, that bottom of their neck and that brisket, and their shoulders are getting bigger, and you start to see some withers on those deer, that's mature deer. And if you spend enough time in the woods just studying and looking at deer and not just worrying about killing them or harvesting them, you will learn, like, when I was a kid, I thought, man, a big deer would walk out. I was like, man, i got to shoot that deer, and I'd shoot that deer, and I'd get to him. My dad would drive up and pick me up and be like, yeah, that's a two-year-old deer. I'm like, well, that was the biggest deer I've ever seen in my mind. But, of course, I was eight years old. I didn't know any better. Right. So just having the patience, patience to kind yeah. of watch your deer over the years mm-hmm. and just, yeah, get to know them and know what you'll, you'll learn. And you can see a lot in their, like. in their head and their face structure too. You know, you get Roman noses and different hair colors and, you, and just, like I said, the social um, interaction of deer. You know, like when a deer comes into feed ground, a three-year-old deer will bow up and kind of fluff his hair up and he comes in looking like, you know, looking like he's in the, going into the boxing ring. And then once he settles down, you're like, well, he's not quite as old as, as I thought he was. He's not as mature as I thought he was. 
And those really mature deer get smart. It's funny how dumb they are when they're young, just like a teenage boy. Like, we're all dumb at that age. I'm probably still there. <laughs> but as those deer get older, they, they become smarter and smarter. And, and the best time to hunt whitetail is in the rut, even though they can be sporadic. But that's when the biggest bucks get killed. And it's not always at, like, first light or last light. A lot of those big bucks get killed between, you know, 9 o'clock and noon or 2 o'clock in the afternoon because they're on a doe and they learn when those hunters are coming and going from the stands. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the current state of the whitetail industry. So the whitetail breeding industry was created by demand. Um, the demand of hunters needing to, to harvest multiple big whitetail a year, multiple hunting ranches needing to be supplied with, resupplied with whitetail. Even if you had 300 deer on your farm, ranch, whatever, you're only going to produce you know 25 to 30 trophy bucks out of you know five six-year-old deer so the hunt the the white-tail breeding industry was was came about by demand and it's grown by leaps and bounds and they've grown it went to 200 to 250 to 300 to 400 to 500 inch deer gnarly looking deer and all the breeders went back to more typical looking deer but because of the cwd that's hit in Texas, in some of those white breeding operations, there's a lot of breeders that are getting out of the industry, and for good reason, because the state, in Texas, the state controls those deer, and they can condemn those deer and put them down um, without any consent from the owner. They, they, the state owns the deer in Texas. Other states are different, but it's, it's, a, big, it's a big thing right now in our industry and it's going to end up going back to pasture breeding deer and managing your deer herd and if you only have 20 bucks or 50 bucks to sell that year that's that's it that's all you gotta sell you're gonna have to go back to the old ways that we did 30 years ago all right so i know that a lot of whitetail breeders you mentioned are kind of exiting that scene and getting into one of your favorite type of deer the fallow deer so let's talk a little bit. Start first. Um, when can you hunt them, and where can you hunt them? Fallow deer are readily huntable in, in Texas. They're, they're exotic in Texas, so you can hunt them 24/7. Um, they they shed their velvet in August, and and they're kind of like elk and red deer. They they rut early. They rut in, in late September, October. By mid October, their rut is full swing. I've got some clients that love to shoot. Um, fallow deer and velvet and they come in ver various different colors you get your basic is chocolate white and spotted i call it you know chocolate vanilla and swirl and then you get some some different variations of that that spotted and, ch and fallow deer are originally from hungary uh, hungary germany europe that that part of the world they do really well in texas they've done really well in the u.s they're they're an easy deer to raise um a lot of times they're very docile, so they're not really hard to hunt, but they can get very cagey and, and very smart if they're um, in the pasture and, and born and raised in the pasture. They can get very cagey, but their rut gets them in trouble. But I think fallow deer are just an amazing trophy. It's almost like a miniature moose. Um, they get big palmated antlers, and, and, and every one of, you know, everybody says, well, white tail, every one of them is different. If you, there's no two fallow alike all the fallow are different they're just so different in so many ways 
you get a lot of color variations. You get a lot of palmation variations and point variations. And, and the fallow industry in Texas right now is taking off because because of the whitetail industry starting to exit. The only problem is we don't have the demand for fallow trophies that we have every year for whitetail trophies. So we almost have to retrain our hunters to be like, this is a really great trophy at a really great, this is a really great, great price for a really great trophy. The table fare is wonderful, especially if you can get them pre-rut when they have that really thick fat on them. If you get those fallow bucks pre-rut, that meat is comparable to axis meat. Everybody raves about axis meat, but there's so many other meats out there that are comparable to axis, and fallow is one of them. And fallow is your personal favorite, right, or close to it? It's, it's, one of my, it's my personal favorite exotic, for sure, because my dad always raised fallow deer. He had um, white deer preserve in, in Fredericksburg, Texas, and he at one time had the, had the number one SCI fallow deer um, harvested on our place, and, and he's always been a bit a big advocate for fallow deer, and I love fallow deer. I just love their demeanor. I love looking at them, I love watching them, and I love watching their, they're a very vocal animal. So when the does have fawns and they're talking to their fawns and then when the bucks are rutting, they make a rut, 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 rut. It's kind of like an impala when you're in Africa. You hear that, it's kind of eerie a little bit. But you hear, they're a very vocal animal and they're a very fun animal to watch and, and breed and, and just interact. And man, when they fight, when those fallow bucks start to fight, I mean, they fight to the death. It is insane. What's your favorite color? I like the spotted. I call it a base spot. It's more of a reddish spot, but that's that's my favorite. But a lot of people like the chocolate. I feel like um, I've had a lot of women clients like the white the white bucks because they, the white bucks are like snow white, and then they get a really dark stained antler, especially once they polish their antlers off. So you get a big contrast in color there. Oh, that does sound pretty. I am. Um, I've seen a couple spotted that are super white. So I call that like so a lots a light spotted. Yeah. Yeah. You get like a, a really light coat, but you still have some a, a little bit spotted up around the shoulders and stuff. I like those. I like chocolate too, though. I think chocolate might be my favorite. Yeah, chocolate's very popular in fallow deer. Uh, we don't. It's hard to get a chocolate um, fallow to grow as good of antlers as we do in the in the spotted and the white. And I don't know why that is. I think originally fallow started off as spotted, and over time, and when it, when it works, they call it line, breed, line breeding. When it doesn't work, they call it inbreeding. But over time, I feel like you've got a recessive gene which came out spot the chocolate and a, and a positive gene that came out white. So generally speaking, your white and your spotted are, are normally the largest antler deer. So to get a, a really big chocolate is is a feat in its own. And we raised some really, really big chocolates. And I've been able to put some clients on some really great chocolate deer. And it's... it's um, it's made me feel really good about our, our fallow operation. And fallow deer can only be hunted on ranches at this point, right? They're not open, like on public land, the state public no, land or anything. There's no, there's nowhere in Texas that they're on right. state public land. You're going to they're gonna be on a private ranch. I mean, I don't know much about hunting them in Europe other than preserves and hunting clubs over there. I, I've never hunted there. I've always wanted to go and, and be a part of that. But, um, yeah, fallow deer are not on state land. Okay, and we definitely know, having been to a couple, like, EWA meetings and just it, you being in the industry that, like you said, the demand for fallow and everything is just up right now, which is great. So EWA is Exotic Wildlife Association. Yes. So another interesting fact about fallow. So when when the, this country was settled, they brought fallow over here in the 16 and 1700s on the ships. 
um, they've been domesticated in, in, in a long, for a long time. So they brought venison like fallow deer and red deer over here from England and Germany. And when the ships landed, they just turned them loose so they would have game to hunt and they would have um, venison to hunt. And there's, that's why there's a wild herd of fallow deer up in Virginia. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, there's a, a old movie called um, The Deer Hunter. And it, they're actually hunting red deer up up in that up in that part of the world. Never seen it. I'll have to check. And it they out. also brought fallow deer to South Africa at the same time. There's some wild fallow deer in South Africa from the, from their original ships that landed there in the 1600s. Wow, you're just full of historical facts about fallow. Sometimes <laughs> it is, it, you know, they're a passion of mine. I love them. Awesome. Okay, well, let's uh, move on to our third type of deer we're going to talk about: axis deer, and these. This is going to be an interesting conversation given the weather that Texas has had the last year. But first, same question, when can you hunt axis and where can you hunt them? You can hunt axis uh, in a few different states in the south, uh, Texas being mainly one of them. I've heard of a few places in, in uh, Florida you can hunt axis. So axis are originally from India, and they're a semi-tropical deer. They rut during the hot time of year. So in, in Texas, they rut in May, June, July. That's kind of the peak of the rut, May, June being the, the peak. You get a lot of guys that want to kill axis during our whitetail season, and they're just not available because they're, they're normally shed out by October, November. They, start, they shed their antlers, and they're regrowing during our hunting season. And you get very few hard antler axis um, during our whitetail season. And I think another reason is that because over the last 50 years since axes have been introduced to Texas that every hard antler deer that's ever popped up at a hunting stand in November, December probably gets shot. A very interesting fact about axis also, being a herd animal, they're a grazer, um, and you have to think of like, why are axes so prolific? Well, because they are created in God's eye to be the number one food source for a tiger. So that's why they're prolific because there's an apex, the, the largest apex predator in the world is a tiger. And axes have to be so prolific to keep up their herd numbers to feed that apex predator. So once you bring them to Texas and you don't have that apex predator anymore, their numbers just flourish here. Because of our heat and our, they, they travel around from you know field to field and they, you know, they go from oak crop in the wintertime and they go to coastal and climb grass in the summertime. And they just, they're very nomadic and they travel where food is and there's not much pressure. They are definitely everywhere. I see them on the side of the road all the time. So the original, the first high fence ranch, Mr. Taylor in Rock Springs, he was a, um, a board member of the San Antonio Zoo and he, he got the first axis out of the San Antonio Zoo and put them on the Taylor Ranch in Rock Springs. Since all these high fences have been built and of course water gaps get washed out and holes get broken in the fences, axes have covered the hill country. And that's all the way from now from Del Rio to San Antonio, all the way to San Angelo, there are free range axes all over central Texas, central and south Texas, they're everywhere. Do you find most people want to hunt axes for their meat? I think axes are most sought after for their meat. They're, they're a huge trophy item. Um, they're one of the most beautiful trophy deer there are. I mean, just their, their hair coat and their, their red and white spots, they're just unbelievable. And they're very vocal too. 
you can hear them roar and, and stuff in the, in the rut and you can hear the does when they get um, frightened and startled they, they whistle and they'll almost scare you it's, it's high pitched it's hard to it's hard to beat an axis for a trophy and everybody is is wanting axis meat or wanting axis trophy the only difference is I feel like guys they'll 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 hunt whitetail every year and they'll hunt axis maybe every so often I think me personally I could kill an axis buck anytime I see one and I would pass up a million whitetail so I'm gonna ask this and it might be a naive question but I'm a little more familiar with whitetail scoring and fallow um, measuring you know just what they look like what a good one versus maybe not so great one looks like on axis is it length or how what's okay. kind of how do you gauge a lot of people talk about length and axis and that's just main beam length okay but they they failed to account for uh brow time and carl talent cardal time length carl times are the secondary points up high um axis are typically six points there are times that they're eight or ten points they get, do get some little kickers and stuff on them but typically axes are six points so everybody talks about 30 plus axes as a trophy and you could get a 28 that's a trophy but if you get a very heavy boned axis with great fronts you know great brow tines and great cardinal tines it doesn't matter if he's 30 32 33 that's a hell of a deer he's gonna look cool yeah and it's okay. again it's all about the look i mean because i've seen a 39 inch axis but he didn't have any other anything else going on to him he looked like toothpick horns toothpick antlers and very little brow tines it's like well yeah he's long but there's he's kind of ugly i was gonna say i think i'd like something a little more proportional exactly. personally yeah. for me yeah okay well and so this year has been interesting with axis very yeah because of the freeze we had in february, february. yeah so they're what's the status of them now i mean they're hard they're hard to get right um trophy deer yes um Black Buck took a harder hit than Axis. Axis took a pretty hard hit statewide. Uh, it, I don't know what the percentage that it killed, um, just because it, it was so cold for so long. It was seven days, I believe, below freezing or around freezing. And deer not being able to get to water, they couldn't eat. Um, and again, during that time of year, those mature bucks were growing their their antlers so a lot of those bucks got frostbit and what we found is you you'll see you know 60 mature bucks and only one or two of them will be completely intact with all their points intact either they were later on growing or they were almost finished out so there's a, a big gap in in access trophies this year i think next year you're going to see an abundance of, of trophies but again our numbers are way down i think it knocked them down at least 20 30 percent Wow, that's crazy. I think you brought home a frostbitten antler for one of the dogs to chew yeah. on, if I remember correctly. It was like black, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then some of the early bucks we killed, um, and I don't know how the taxidermists were going to cure it because it's like that they weren't quite stripped out, but that velvet just it frostbit onto that bone, and it killed all the blood vessels in that antler, and it's just like this big, black, ugly-looking antler, and I don't know what you do with it, but... It's something I've never seen, and I've talked to guys that were 80, 90 years old, and they're like, we've never seen a, a storm like that here, and that's kind of scary. Yeah, it was definitely rough, I know, for a lot of people. Yeah, we were out there every day breaking breaking water and putting out hay and putting out feed for all types of wildlife, and normally the wildlife that would be running running away from you was running towards you uh, because what we what we put out was the only thing that they had to eat. Gotcha, I know. I know a lot of... 
ranchers and stuff definitely struggle with trying to just even get out there and yeah take care of all their livestock so all right, so last deer we're going to talk about, I know that this is one of your personal favorites in addition to fallow deer, uh, mule deer. And I, I don't hear, and granted I'm not really a good judge, but I don't hear mule deer hunting in Texas talked a lot about. I hear a lot about people going out of state, and that might be because of you, and you're really the only person I talk to about hunting. But... Um, Talk about mule deer, the season where you can hunt them in Texas, why they're kind of your favorite, one of your favorite deer, and tell us any cool stories you have. I, I love mule deer. Just, they're just an amazing animal. Um, their demeanor is, is amazing. They're really, really fun to hunt. Normally, you're, fun, you're normally hunting them in big, wide open country. Um, they can be very challenging to hunt. They can be very easy to hunt sometimes, too. But in Texas, they're not statewide like whitetail. Um, mostly in western Texas or, or, or in our panhandle, northwest Texas, Andrews County, you know, west of Lubbock. They're getting a little bit more into, um, like, around Guthrie. There's there's some mule deer and whitetail both around that area. And your county has to allow yeah. mule so there's, deer, right? There there's are certain, some that don't. Yeah, there's, certain, there's only certain counties that allow mule deer uh, tags available. Early on, a lot of west Texas ranches just didn't, really take care of their deer Um, they didn't understand the value that they had in them you move forward in that and now there's a lot of ranches in west texas that understand the value of a a trophy mule deer they're able to feed those deer in texas and able to take care of them and we're able to manage them better because we can get mld permits managed land permits and so you're able to take out you know big three by threes and big you know forkies big two by twos that you don't want breeding and leave the better bucks um, there and the, and the good young bucks to breed. And, of course, like <laughs> going back to shooting whitetail spikes, imagine if you shot every mule deer spike you saw. You wouldn't have any mule deer bucks. So it's just like the dumb. If you want something to be messed up, just leave it to the state or the government to mess it up. Like, here you go. Just shoot all your young bucks and then see what you got left. Most idiotic thing I've ever heard. Anyway, so mule deer is, is absolutely my favorite. I've, I've, I've guided mule deer in Wyoming for almost 20 years now. I've been able to hunt them in West Texas and North Texas and New Mexico. I'm going uh, with a friend of mine in Nevada. He, he, he drew a tag. It took him nine years to, drag, to draw this year. Uh, mule deer, I think, is, is after whitetail. A lot of guys go to elk, and everybody wants a big Rocky Mountain elk on their fireplace but mule deer is is number one in everybody's pocket and um they're very easily overhunted and if you don't take care of those herds you can overhunt those herds in the 60s and 70s guys would go to colorado and buy over the counter tags and come back with two giant mule deer bucks over the hood of the jeep and like it was nothing you know they were just killing like crazy now it's it's really hard to get a a big trophy mule deer over 180 Okay. You said that's like number one that people want. Why do you think that is? Just the hunt experience to get them? I think it's or? supply and demand. I mean, I think it's it's second. It's like, it's like whitetail's half-brother. You know, everybody's been ingrained with whitetail their entire life. And I think the mule deer is so similar that that's just the next best thing or even better, you know. And there's there's not very many in a high fence, and it's a, a, a wild, wide-open hunt, and it's a hard hunt. 
Okay, that makes sense. And so you are headed up, like you said, to Wyoming mm. tomorrow, actually. Yeah. Um, this will not have aired yet, but when everyone does hear it, you will be in Wyoming. Hopefully. And you've got some mule deer hunters coming up there. Yeah, hopefully looking for a big mule deer, yeah. I've been awesome. been hunting that ranch um, going on my 17th season. Do you have a favorite mule deer story of one that I know you've killed a lot? Well, actually, my mule deer hunting experiences are, are pretty lame because I've killed my biggest mule deer off the back porch. Oh, that's not exciting at no. all. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to come up with a better one. <laughs> I've got some great mule deer hunting stories with clients, but... Um, no, literally, I had a lease in West Texas, and, and I woke up one morning, and a, a buck came off the mountain and was rutting some does down around the protein feeder, and I didn't even have my contacts in or a, a T-shirt on. I just threw my jacket on and stepped out the, the back door, and he got kind of nervous when the lights and the sun started coming up and went to go back up the mountain and shot him in the road, and he was a 192 mule deer, West Texas mule deer, biggest mule deer I've ever killed, and I didn't know what I had when I, when I shot him. I just thought, man, that's a really pretty deer. It's a miracle that you hit him without your contacts in. Well, I have my glasses on, babe. Oh, yeah. Okay. That I mean, makes sense. It, I mean, it, I, I was going to say, there's no way you got close without your glasses or your contacts. You're as thick as bottle caps, but, you know, <laughs> I, you know, optics help me for sure. Anyway, so, but yeah, I've had some adventurous hunts with clients on mule deer and I've had, I've had, funny enough, you know, mule deer is so sneaky because the minute you think you can outsmart them or put a stock on them, um, just last year, we had a, a mule deer laying down, and he was at a bad angle, and we went to just reposition a little bit to kind of get a better angle on him and hope he would stand up. And all of a sudden, I think we took our eyes off of him for maybe 10 seconds, and he disappeared. And he was with a younger, another young mule deer that never left. And we went right to where that young mule deer was and saw him, and we, we walked all over and hiked all over, and we never saw him like top out like over the skyline or anything and that that big mature mule deer literally like just ghosted me and I, it still haunts me today i'm like where in the hell could he have gone i can see everything i can see every exit he has where did he go did he just crawl underneath the rock and it's funny and everybody talks about all oh, you know the old mule deer stop and look back you know that mule deer's gonna run to the top of the hill and stop and look back at you that doesn't always happen either because i've seen plenty of mule deer go over the top of that hill and you just never see him again. And there's well, there's deer I've seen that didn't get harvested that I've never seen them. I've never found them dead. I've never seen their sheds. And they've literally just disappeared in time. They're old and smart, maybe. I wish I could get that way. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap up here. Um, I think I, I think fallow and mule deer now. You've got me wanting to shoot a mule deer and a fallow. Did you buy your Wyoming points? You got to buy your Wyoming points. I didn't. We'll have to talk about that in a in another podcast, points and license and all that out of state, because I know we've had a couple of listeners request that we talk about that. So we'll save that for another episode. But I enjoyed this. This was fun. Maybe somebody learned a little bit about something, some type of deer that they didn't know, or maybe we introduced them to fallow or got them excited about something else. I think it's all excitable. I still like, I still like whitetail hunting. I still like, I love mule deer hunting. Fowler are my passion, but I will not pass up a big axis buck either. I want an axis in velvet. I've never seen a deer mounted in velvet until I've seen some of your mounts, and it's really, it's really pretty. Yeah, axis. It's funny because those axes sometimes in velvet you get like a marbling, 
like it's white and and brown in their antler and in their velvet it's really pretty my brother has one like that he shot with me i don't know 10 years ago awesome all right well thanks everybody for joining us this time and uh, we hope y'all are all having a great week and enjoying the podcast and until next week i'll see you guys soon signing out Hey guys, thanks for listening to Traps Lodge. Leave us a review, send us an email. Until next time.